have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Silence! The great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. <laughs> Jason Burmes. And who loves you? And who do you love? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is Reality Rants. I am Jason Burmes, brought to you by Red Voice Media. And look, I understand I've been focusing a lot on Davos, and I'm always focusing a lot on transhumanism. But Davos right now, is essentially the mouthpiece for this agenda. And it just could not get more cartoon level than bringing a clown, a guy that literally, look, I, we don't focus on people's looks here. And I, and I hate even when I have to describe this, go over this every time I bring this up, but, but it's not really something I like to get into. Uh, most of us got what God gave us. There are certain levels that you can level up on, make yourself healthier, uh, a more attractive person just by your persona and personality, etc. But let's just say that Brian Stelter's personality reflects very well his physical stature. Okay, what he looks like on the outside, and when I look at a guy like, and you know. When I watch that clip of Jones going, look at that guy. All I can say is, look at that guy. And uh, I actually had the displeasure of uh, seeing uh, Brian up close and personal when he was a little bit less lumpy. And like, at, at this point, you would want to cast him as clown, not the clown show clown, but clown from Spawn, who turns into the demon uh, violator under, I'm trying to trying to think which uh, version of uh, Satan they kind of have, but they're, it's it's the M one, it's not Mephesto either. Mephistopheles maybe, I'm not, I'm not sure. It's been a long time, I do love Spawn. But he, he a great cast member. And with that, with that smile and that look, 
you put him in a clown violator uh, outfit, and they're remaking the movie right now. You give Brian's got time. He's showing up to the Davos Forum to uh, tell us about disinformation. Talk about an inversion of reality, right? I mean, my goodness. So let's see. Clown Spawn comic. I don't want something too crazy to come up. But you're telling me. You're telling me that this guy right here wouldn't be per Stelter wouldn't be per come on. Come on. In fact, you know, I should have spent a little more time on the thumbnail. And uh we could have absolutely gotten like a total a total 100% stelter. I mean, th- th- this is the dude. Oh, that, that's a that's a good scene. I do love um, this comic series. Uh, Todd McFarlane is legend in my book. So, yeah, I mean, there you have like a little clown that on the inside um, is even worse. And that's what he is. He's a little clown. And, and to, to show you that, you know, I've got a couple of clips before we do a watch along. You know, I've been complaining a lot that this Davos stuff isn't uh, isn't out and about like it usually is. Usually C-SPAN has a lot of Davos, has a lot. They had two forums yesterday, right? Not even. It was one forum and it was uh, one speech. And I had to look elsewhere for some forums. I found the Stelter Forum, not on the World Economic Forum uh, page, et cetera, uh, on some economics uh, YouTube. I ripped that. It is uh, a 48 minute presentation, meaning it's going to be uh, the, the meat and potatoes of the broadcast. OK, so we're going to do a watch along with that. But before we do that, I got some clips. You know, yesterday we played a clip, maybe a couple clips of the mainstream media gaslighting you on the economy. Karine Jean-Pierre gaslighting you on the economy, telling you, and, you know, there is no recession. So I'm going to play that as one of the death nils for Stelter's career. Again, he did that same exact song and dance. (laughs) These people continually lie to your face and have zero accountability. You know, I'm watching the Tuckins last night. uh, Tuck's like, look, you know, I told people on this show that we were going to have a massive red wave and all these people were going to get elected and they didn't. And I got it wrong, and I'm sorry, and I admit it. Here's the deal, Tuck. You should have known there wasn't going to be any red wave, no matter who you were promoting on your very, very popular show, because the infrastructure has not been fixed. That should be one of the next focal points on the show and on your uh, Tucker Carlson originals. The fact that in the next election cycle, the same exact thing will happen. Establishment candidates will get in, okay, because the system hasn't been fixed. It's not one person, one vote. There's all sorts of corruption. There's almost no way to audit these things. You know, if you watch my interview with Todd McGreevy, we're talking about them making it hard to get the voter rolls here in Iowa, one of the better states. They want them all. They don't want any resistance. They realized that the Constitution and the Bill of Rights set up by our forefathers, okay, and and cemented into the arena by the, you know, the big-time original colonists love them or hate them. They had big ideas. And they said, look, 
We're all dirty. We're human beings. We need to chop this up. We don't need kings. We don't need overall rule. We need a vast majority if we're going to change anything. It's not like a 50%. You know, when they're really changing things, they need three quarters. A reason for that, to keep people in check because people can suck. They can be Brian Stelter. That no problem lying to your face smugly, you know. Again, I, I, I saw Stelter, it was back, I think, 2007, in the run-up to the 2008 election cycle, when they were still very corrupt, in my opinion. When the media was just either ignoring or going after Ron Paul, right? I want to say that Ron Paul did really, I mean, I think he killed in the Iowa straw poll. He's polling great. No one wanted to touch him. All those establishment conservatives, all the Hannity's of the world, garbage, trash, uber trash. All right. So look, Tuckins, you know, I like the humility. I get things wrong, too. You got to admit when you get things wrong. But the truth of the matter is, until we stare down the system we have in place now and tighten it back up and we get done with all this Johnny nonsense of allowing people to mail in ballots or, you know, they want emails. Are these machines done? Get them out of there. Oversauce. Hand counting. All right. It's eight, and, and I know I've said it before on this show, but think about this, folks. All right. Everybody's got a webcam. The webcam I'm using right now, commercially, commercially sold for a couple hundred bucks. All right, I got it secondhand for like 80 bucks. You buy it in bulk, especially if you're if you're getting back order, super cheap. And you can stream these in real time. You just cover up the name and address on the thing and you'd slide it in and check them overhead. In, in a real-time online audit as two people audit the election with hand ballots and count them. Get it done in a day. Get it done in a day. You don't need machines. You don't need fractional algorithms. You don't need any of that Johnny nonsense, okay, period. Also going to be going over um, Ezra Levant and Rebel News confronting the CEO of Pfizer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Rebel News, not perfect, right? I've never kind of jumped on any kind of conservative train, right? And Rebel News certainly uh, was integral in kind of launching the career of people like uh, Gavin McGinnis. I understand Gavin, obviously, in the alternative media arena via Vice prior to that as a a co-founder. But as far as personalities go, they brought up a lot of people over on Rebel News but in my opinion, that really is, hasn't been what it's about. And, and I haven't agreed with everything they've done. I think that the COVID-1984 nightmare, and especially what happened in Canada, really launched Ezra Levant. And, and Ezra is one of the people questioning. Uh, Avi is the other one. Uh, Borla. And, and this guy, he doesn't want any of these questions. We can't play it on this, uh, uh, by the way. We can't play it on YouTube. That's definitely going to be over on the... Uh, premium portion of the broadcast or go over to Podbean and listen to it. Uh, I've retweeted it. You can go check it out on my Twitter later after the broadcast if you like. By the way, let's thumbs it up, comment, share. All those things matter, guys. Like commenting uh, is a big part of the algorithm no matter what platform you're on. If you're on Rumble, uh, please do that. If you're on YouTube, please do that. Uh, And especially the thumbs up. But we're going to play that on the other side. 
five, six minutes. And all, thank you. You have a nice day. Have a good day. No, I'll have a good day when you answer the question. So props to, to Levant, man. Okay? We got to raise each other. And, and I know there's a lot of, a lot of people out there that don't have a, a problem with tearing others down. That's kind of their shtick. They, they can't wait to just tear a bunch of other really good people down. We don't do that here. Okay. We don't do that here. If we, like, like, like I said, you know, like when I have a disagreement with the tuck, I say I got a disagreement with the tuck. I'm, I'm glad he's out there. Glad we got something out there. Just something. When I disagree with Jones, I disagree with Jones. I'm not here to tear down Alex Jones. You know, you got to understand on one level, there's a human aspect to all this. And I know, uh, and I actually watched it. It, made, it was interesting to me. Steven Crowder was showing some of the contracts with, uh, he called it Big Con. All right. Um, and, and I think it's Big Con or TheBigCon.com. And he's talking about big conservatism. And it had all these, um, you know, you basically were signing a contract to work with these people. But there were all sorts of stipulations that if you somehow were, for instance, demonetized by YouTube or got a warning uh, from YouTube or a strike from YouTube, you'd have all these economic penalties. So there's self-censorship built into uh, these contracts. And then, God forbid, something happens to you and you're not able to produce content for even a short period of time. You basically are economically liable to the point where you better be a huge creator talking about in the hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars. And he said, you know, this is um, the rule, not the exception when people sign these contracts. Thank God I've never had to sign any of these contracts. Uh, first of all, I, I honestly, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. You know, there's no NDA or contract that's going to make me shut my mouth. Sorry. Nope. Nope. Even on this show, when I'm you know, going around things, eventually we go over to another platform and we let it all hang out. And I, and hopefully most of you can kind of read in between the lines. doesn't matter. I mean, we've had a ton of stuff taken down from this platform. You know, I, I can't take YouTube ads or I'm sorry, uh, Facebook ads and expect to have any traction. Let's be honest. And although there has been uh, some growth on Twitter recently, I think a lot of that has to do with um, the good people at Red Voice Media and the fact that, you know, on the production end, they're taking this show, they're cutting up two to like 10 minute clips and they're putting them all over social media. And they've got, you know, I, I saw the other day, a couple of my Rumble uh, clips, a couple of reality rants, uh, Rumble clips got like 70, 80,000 views. You know, and now I'm seeing some traction uh, on the uh, Twitter with thousands of views where traditionally on this platform, even though, you know, on YouTube, for instance, we'll get a few thousand views even where we're capped at. It's rare, you know, my videos go above like a thousand or fifteen hundred. The whole the whole podcast over on on Twitter. If I pin a post like the the Muskernuts, the Muskerade, then you start getting into like you know people check it out, tens of thousands, my McGregor stuff, uh, etc. But I've never really been allowed to go viral. And, and that's odd, seeing as, you know, I was part of the most viral video of all time. And that, that some would argue started a, uh, you know, technological information revolution of citizenry 
deciding to make their own media, whether they had intentions of growing that into an organization or a career or not, and sharing it with the world. Who knew? So one of the things that I haven't been doing and I need to start doing is I've been missing stories. Like I I missed this uh, story of a Des Moines archdiocese finally, you know, locking down on, you know, this idea that everything's fluid and, you know, they don't have to uh, to the religious edicts anymore. I missed that story. So before I get to the Stelter and the videos and the watch along and the latest from the World Economic Forum and the Pfizer CEO being confronted, let's hit a couple of these news stories, uh, blitz them pretty quick. Again, thumbs it up, subscribe and share everybody. It is Reality Rants. I am Jason Burmes. Furious gun retailers blast Supreme Court after it slapped down their bid to block New York's crackdown on carrying concealed weapons. Vendors claim it violates the Second Amendment. In June of 2022, the Supreme Court struck down a New York law in place uh, since 1913 that severely restricted a person's ability to carry a concealed handgun in public. While some state uh, states allow it without question, no kidding, I live in a constitutional carry state, by the way. In New York, a person applying for a license has to show proper cause, and only around 4,000 have been issued. Let me explain that to everybody, okay? Let let me explain that to to, to everybody. 4,000 people in a state of 20 million people that can carry It is almost impossible to get a concealed carry license in New York. That's how restricted things are. And, you know, I I don't show it enough for people that don't get it. And I know that I have a global audience, but even people in the United States, a lot of them don't get it. They just don't get it. So New York State map. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty good one right there. That's right above. Everybody can check it out. Okay. Above here, you see this giant state. Down here, this little thing right here, that's New York City and Long Island. Long Island, New York City is just like where the New York is overlapped and the rest is Long Island. 10 million people live in that area. And then another 10 million live in this giant state that also contains Buffalo, Rochester, Albany, etc. Okay? You get it? So out of all that, only 4,000 can have a concealed carry because of the politics down here and the restrictions. And again, we have to, we have to imagination land that we have free and fair uh, elections and that we elected Hochul. Okay. I was out, I was actually on the phone with uh, one of my fraternity brothers yesterday. When I say on the phone, I actually did a little Google meet. Uh, I haven't seen him in a while. Dearly miss him. Uh, I think I saw him last, last April. Um, was the last time that I, I got to talk to him in person. And he's like, you know, they took three days to announce who won. It was just so close. Those are the kind of laws they want for everybody. Think, think about that. And they want to even, lie. I mean, they don't even want the 4,000 to have the gun. All right. So <laughs> if they have their way, that's the federal look. They don't want you to defend yourself. Okay, let's keep going down. Uh, crypto giant Genesis 
is days away from bankruptcy after su suffering steep losses in wake of FTX collapse. Firm owes creditors $3 billion, including $900 million, almost a billion dollars, to the Winklevoss twins, the uh, infamous Facebook twins. Okay? So here's the thing. You know, I've seen a bump in Bitcoin. I've seen a, a stabilization of a lot of the altcoins out there, seeing a stabilization of Ethereum at this point, anything could happen. And, and I've, I've told this to people from the beginning. And, and you know, look, I've got a little bit of crypto. A lot of people rode that crypto train and were very wrong. Everybody gets things wrong. You know, there, there were some big talking heads out there. Bitcoin easily going to 100,000, maybe to a million. No. Instead, what happened? Hit around 60k and then and then the bottom dropped out. It said, see ya. Boom. Then the bottom dropped out. Because at the end of the day, just like uh with anything, with anything that has kind of a relative and not an intrinsic value, it's gonna be easy to do a little pump and dumpage. A little pump and dumpage. A little collusion for the scratchola. Okay, and there are going to be winners and losers. And apparently, you know, and, and maybe got this wrong in the beginning. I'm seeing various reports on the Sam Bankman Freed bond, right? This quarter of a billion dollar bond. At first, it was like there was no quarter of a billion dollars. His parents had to basically sign over their home, you know, as collateral. And obviously, that's not a quarter of a billion dollars. Um, now I'm hearing reports that there are a couple of people that actually did front the money on that, but the judge ruled we don't get to know who fronted the money to keep Bankman freed out of jail. It's a little odd, especially when it's a quarter of a billion dollars. So at the end of the day, you know, I look just like I I'm talking about Biden now. Mark my words. All right. That's going to be a limited burn on, you, you know, the real players are never going to be brought to justice. A lot of people were breaking out the Epstein jokes. I don't know that that's happening in this case. I think behind the scenes, a lot of things are being cleaned up. And uh, when I say cleaned up, maybe some people are having accidents and aren't around anymore that we wouldn't necessarily think are connected to this. There's a reason for that. So keep your eye on crypto for sure. Uh, I also think there's going to be some opportunities there, especially as um, more and more economic hardships hit this country and the globe. They're talking about global inflation over at the World Economic Forum, right? Just what they're doing. Um, so we're keeping an eye on all these stories. Let's keep going down the line here. Uh, and, you know, this story is one I just feel like I've got to do. Uh, and and this is also a, a shout out at the Tuckins. How America surrendered to marijuana. Uh, Kayla Brantley reveals how pot became ubiqu ubiquitous across the U.S. because it rakes in billions in tax dollars, despite concerns about impact on health. All right. Let's just do this. Okay. And Tuck's another one. Oh, they're encouraging everybody to take drugs. Now, look. I'm a big advocate of personal responsibility, okay? And I'm uh, a big ad advocate of you can do just about anything in moderation, but as soon as 
it gets out of control, anything can also become an addiction, right? Something that is a go-to and that you have no control over and it ends up ruling over your life. And we don't necessarily want that, do we? No. You know, whether it's bacon bits on your Twinkie or a little uh, a little nose candy all the time. Let's just let's just say that. So when we talk about marijuana, I have been smoking weed since I was a young lad of 16 years old. And geez, by the time I was 18 and in school, uh, I'm a big I, I, I like the blunts. You know, I don't get me wrong. I used to smoke joints and out of uh, pipes and uh, the bongs or the water pipes, if you will. I've got a vaporizer, all those things. And number one, I I think that I can intellectually spar with just about anybody. Okay, I don't think it dumbs me down. Um, I don't necessarily think it puts you to bed or or makes you starving or hungry. In fact, a lot of cases, I think it kind of suppresses uh, an appetite. I'll find myself, I'm hungry in the middle of the day and then I'll smoke and I'll kind of forget about it and not worry about it, whether that's like the oral, oral fixation or um, getting into anything else. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't do the vaporizer thing. Even the, the vape weed stuff, not my favorite, not my favorite. So on one end, yeah, I understand that it's profitable. On the other end, when you criminalized it, you had a lot of nonviolent offenders who weren't really breaking any laws or doing anything wrong in jail. There's still a lot of nonviolent drug offenders that are in jail that I don't think should be in jail. All right. Marijuana or not. So what really upsets me about the whole thing is that, number one, you have uh, varying uh, laws. And I've seen the people's will struck down before. Uh, South Dakota is probably a great example. I remember when I was traveling the country, uh, it was being voted on in South Dakota and the people wanted it out and somehow through an executive order. No, it didn't happen. Okay. Do I want kids smoking weed? No, not necessarily. But at the same time, I think that we do have to acknowledge that teenagers um, smoke, drink, um, also sometimes do drugs, et cetera. Uh, a lot of that has to do with social circles and obviously their home life. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad parent if your kid's doing those things. Uh, I'm just pointing out that those that really struggle with that or have a problem with it often come from that arena. Okay. So it's about communication to me. It's about choice. And I would have much rather seen a decriminalization federally. Okay. Number one, because federally, I think it's, it's still illegal, which is weird. Uh, in, unless I'm wrong on that. I'm not sure if the, the federal uh, statute is gone. You know, New York made it a big dog and pony show. There was at one point that I was looking into, um, actually opening up a dispensary um, with a business partner. And we could not believe the licensing of getting started on just a medical dispensary in New York. That's before the COVID-1984 nightmare. Um, basically, they extort you for about $15,000 no matter what. You got to have that liquid. And then I think it's two or $250,000 to apply for a license. That's before any costs or whatever. And that's proving that you can do it and get it. And the thing is that if they deny you, they keep the 15 grand and you get the quarter million back liquid. But if they approve you, they get it all. 
So you're talking about like over a quarter million dollars to start with no product and no rent and no nothing. Great deal. Fantastic. So I, I think there's a lot of hype around that. Um, I, I don't necessarily like the movement towards more and more uh, drugs in society. I think that the fentanyl issue is, is a real one, even though we don't discuss it a lot here. But I think the biggest issue is um, the pharmacological issue. The, the ones that are being prescribed to people, the legal hallucinogenics. You know, and I'm not talking about uh, now the utilization of uh, psilocybin mushrooms, um, and those types for depression. I'm talking about the SSRI nightmare on top of a, a bunch of other unnecessary over, uh, over-prescribed pharmaceuticals. Big pharma needs to be off of television, needs to be off. They shouldn't be able to advertise on any type of video platform in the country, period. Shouldn't be able to advertise on YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. And certainly not television, certainly not the news. The news should not be sponsored by Big Pharma. Call me kooky. Call me Kukola. <laughs> okay. Thumbs it up, subscribe, and share. Let's keep going down the line. And we will get to Stelter. Don't worry. I, I know a lot of you can't wait for the clown face. Um, we're, we're, I mean, I don't even know if we'll get through the whole thing. Like I said, it's 48 minutes long. I've seen like five or six clips of it that are just revolting where they're talking about hate speech laws. And I mean, the next thing are thought crimes, folks. That's it. Here's a bit of good news. Um, and I was kind of shocked by seeing this because uh, this woman was a good little dictator for the pred predator class, Jacinda Ardern, shocks the world and resigns as New Zealand's prime minister, says she's got nothing left in the tank and tells her fiance Clark, Let's finally get married. She was actually almost crying. And th this is one of the most authoritarian nightmare women uh, out there. So let's just play it. Let's, let's just play. And I'm glad she's out of office. The things she did to people, I mean, this is the type of woman that should face a jury of her peers. You know, I don't like military tribunals or any of that. Committed crimes. Crimes against humanity. This woman. And look, this is the puppet show. This is the revolving door. Bye-bye, puppet. I'm entering now my sixth year in office. And for each of these years, I have given my absolute all. I believe that leading a country is the most privileged job anyone could ever have, but also one of the more challenging. You cannot and should not do it unless you have a full tank, plus a bit in reserve for those unexpected challenges. This summer, I had hoped to find a way to prepare not just for another year, but another term. I thought I was going to be around. My masters at the top have informed me I will not. Disaster is coming and I don't want to be held accountable and they don't want me to be either. So to further obfuscate things, I will be moving on. Because that is what this year requires. I have not been able to do that. And so today I'm announcing that I will not be seeking re-election. And that my term as Prime Minister will conclude no later than the 7th of February. 
This has been the most fulfilling five and a half years of my life. She really enjoyed being a tyrannical dictator. It's not the, uh, listen, it's not the last five and a half years of her life. Really, the last three years was her time to shine. Okay, and don't get me wrong. You know, she'll be somewhere in the background working for some NGO, probably speaking at Davos. <laughs> right next to Stelter in the clown outfit. Like, I mean, take take a look, man. Like, you could tell. She got the call. This sucks. She doesn't want to give up her power. But bye-bye. But it's also had its challenges. Amongst an agenda focused on housing, child poverty, and climate change, we encountered this person does not care about child poverty she doesn't care about children she doesn't care about people okay they, these are the select human beings that are almost extraterrestrial according to john Kerry, that want to save the world that woman a major biosecurity incursion a domestic terror event a major natural disaster a global pandemic and an economic crisis so she's the hero of the day. Yeah, you got to love that. Oh, all these bad things happened while I was in office, but I saved you. I saved you all. The decisions that have had to be made have been continual and they have been waiting. But I'm not leaving because it was hard. Had that been the case, I probably would have departed two months into the job. I am leaving because with such a privileged role comes responsibility. No, that, that's political theater. You're leaving because you got the call, it's time to go. Because you ain't the boss, okay? You're just another part of the puppet show. You're just not the poopy pants puppet in chief here, okay, with duty running down, Zombie J. You're just another puppet, okay? That's it. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. I know what this job takes and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. But I absolutely believe and know there are others around me who do. We've achieved a huge amount in the last five years. Yeah, a lot of tyranny. A lot of tyranny. A lot, a lot, just not a little bit, a whole lot, a lot. George Santos, the, uh, and I think Santos is perfect for Long Island, to be honest. You know, we had this conversation. I'm not going to delve into it too much, but talk about fake it to make it. Uh, was a Brazilian drag queen who used the name Kitara. Report claims, lying Republican has another identity. No kidding. There, There's uh, Santos, allegedly. Uh, Kitaro uh, Ravashi. <laughs> just too much. This this is the guy who was Jewish and worked for Goldman Sachs and Citigroup. Okay, had had Holocaust and 9/11 stories to boot. Nothing about this guy. Nothing about this guy is real, and, and that's why he's quintessential for Long Island, baby. Like like I said, deception all day. You know, I mean, like when I talk about the cartoon world we live in, I mean, does it get more cartoon than this? I mean, he, he's not going anywhere. 
I know that the ethics committee is looking at him, but you know, ethics committee and Congress are kind of like, I don't know, an oxymoron. All right, let's keep going down the line here. Uh, it's going to be a miserable existence. Oliver Stone slams environmental movement for blocking nuclear power and warms of dystopian world of hurricanes, fires, droughts without it. Now, look, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he said. And I, I think that although Stone has done some amazing things, obviously in the realm of JFK, I think in a lot of ways he's failed on 9-11. However, his son, Sean Stone, I've had on the broadcast, um, has gone much further than 9-11. I think that Sean Stone also gets a lot of things wrong. But in in this respect, the idea that we have not utilized nuclear power should also show you that at the heart of things, those at the top really don't have our best interests even in the picture, okay? Because we're not talking about the nuclear power plants of old. We're really talking about third and fourth generation nuclear uh, power plants that harness much more energy, are much safer. And a lot of the scare surrounding nuclear energy was just that. It was a scare. And the line is that renewables in the sense that they want to give, and when I say they, I'm talking about the predator class, they want to give them to the world would be in what? a um, planned obsolescence manufactured scarcity manner in which they decide how much of this or that you get, wind, solar, et cetera, because there's not enough. Nuclear power automatically creates abundance. And they don't want abundance. And, and look, Kurzweil says, you know, big daddy transhumanism that by 2030, just solar alone, harnessing one ten thousandth of its power, you know, could power the world and everybody. And that overpopulation is a myth. You never hear that at Davos, the World Economic Forum. Instead, you, you hear by 2030, you'll own nothing and be happy. Kind of an inversion, right? Kind of an inversion, in my opinion. All right. And I got one more story, and then we're going to hit the stelter. We're going to stelter it up. So much stelter. You can't get enough of it. Florida is awarded $82.6 million in a legal case against Celsius Energy Drinks, who says concealed who he says concealed uh, finances from. Him. Okay. So look, I don't usually cover stories like this one. I'm not a big energy uh, drink guy. I'm not a big Florida guy. But I wanted to use this um as kind of an allegory for uh for how the world works on on multiple terms okay this guy's my age had a couple of hits um there's plenty of guys that get in the entertainment industry or guys and gals have a couple of hits don't do anything with their money okay they basically um become a stereotype or almost a parody of what it is to be an entertainer they lose everything and then they're on some special or, you know, this guy didn't do that. He invested his money. Smart. But then you see a corporation that takes this guy's uh, investment and tries to screw him over big time. All right. And he's got to fight that beast. And he, I mean, look at this. I mean, you look at, you look at this. He first claimed he was owed $30,000 for a violation of the agreement, but the sum swelled as the com company's fortune rose. 
$82.6 million. $82.6 million. So congrats to Florida. Congrats to fighting the system and being aware and making it happen, Captain. Good for you. Good for you. It, it shows you, uh, again, it's not necessarily um, where you come from. It's where you go. And, you know, it, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. Okay, but the size of the fight in the dog. So I'm just putting out a bunch of cliches because it's reality rants. Okay, let's move on to the Stelter. I got some clips before we uh, watch along with the clear and present danger of disinformation. The clear and present danger of disinformation. So here's Brian Stelter openly participating in um, <laughs> disinformation, telling you that recessions aren't happening and we, we're redefining them because that's that's what we do in a you know post-truth world. Laureate and economist, a distinguished professor at the City University of New York's Graduate Center, and a longtime columnist for the New York Times. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. Can we dispense with the recession debate real quick? Are we in a recession and does the term matter? <laughs> hmm. Are we in a recession or does the term matter? Now, terms don't matter when it comes to the economy anymore, Brian. Are we in one? And does it matter if we are? <laughs> Gee, Gee, I wonder why they took them off of television when they're trying to revamp the network for credibility. You know, I mean, look, look at this guy. Listen to this guy. My God. Uh, no, we aren't. And no, it doesn't. I mean. The <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, no, we're not. But if we were, it doesn't matter. And, there, and this guy's going to sit up there with the global elite and lecture us on misinformation and disinformation and tell you why they need to criminalize speech. Uh, One sentence, that was it, huh? Yeah, that was it. It's, it's uh, uh, none of the usual criteria that real experts use. Say, real, the real experts, according to Paul Krugman. Says that we're in a recession right now. And what does matter? What, you know, the state of the economy is what it is. Uh, jobs are abundant, although maybe the job market is weakening. So it is what it is. Like, like literal, like, again, stereotypical cliche gangster talk. It is what it is. Hey, am I a paid contributor on CNN to tell you it is what it is and it doesn't matter? You bet I am. I'm Paul Krugman. How you like me now, Brian Stelter? Inflation is high, though maybe inflation is coming down. What does it matter whether you use the R word or not? Certainly the White House was, was trying to encourage reporters to, uh, to use the technical definition, but certainly uh, many are using a broader definition. The technical, they're using a broader, like again, redefining reality in your face, laughing about it, giggling about it, and, and then what being elevated for it. So this is gonna go on for a while, and I feel like everybody's playing their roles the way you would expect them to play their roles. Uh, what should I the media say, go ahead. Yeah, I would say that there, this is especially vitriolic. I mean, I uh, I get, you know, I've been in this business for a couple of decades and get lots of hate mail and see stuff. I've never seen anything as bad as this. The, uh, the determination of a lot of people to say it's a recession 
is above and beyond anything I've ever seen. It's tragic that people are pointing out we're in a recession when we're clearly in a recession. But it is what it is. And if we were, we weren't. It doesn't matter. Hey, hey, goomba. <laughs> All right. I was going to play um, the almost eight-minute crybaby stelter resignation. But since we've only got about 16 minutes on the uh, on the uh, paid portion of the broker, I'm sorry, the free portion of the bro- broadcast, and I want everybody to come over to, um, geez, I'm, I'm losing it, redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored to see the rest of it. And then maybe if we have time, I doubt we're going to have time because I'm going to be talking over this clear and present danger of disinformation. There's no doubt about it, even with the little watch along. So we'll, be, we'll do about 10, 15 minutes on this side and then come on over. Uh, I want to remind people um, that there's a, a plethora of ways that you can get a lot of this stuff for free. Anyway, we continue on over at uh, Podbean. You just look for the Info Warrior on the app, right? You get the, the magic app or you get it. You can get the app on Windows as well. Look for the Info Warrior. You'll be able to listen to the uh, rest of the broadcast free, but it does support us if you come over for $10 a month or you really support me by locking it in again at redvoicemedia.com slash Jason or slash uncensored uh, for a year and you save 20 bucks. So $100 for the year. Uh, you buy into this broadcast. We're, we're doing things, I believe, that nobody else in the alternative media is doing especially on a regular basis we're always coming uh, you know at this from a reality perspective not not from one of political persuasion period all right it's not what i do i i don't want to be on fox news i don't want to be on cnn or msnbc certainly certainly go on any show or take any opportunity but I, i'm not I'm not grifting for a position like that. I couldn't care less. Even in something that I actually love to do, guys. You know, uh, I've been blessed since I've come to Iowa. I call professional fights with a literal um, MMA UFC legend, a a guy who's in the Hall of Fame, an ex-champion, coach champions, had the first dominant team, Pat Miletic. Dream come true. Great guy. Love having him around. Call fights there. Would I like to elevate my... uh, my uh, calling fights career, 100% would, 100%. I, I want to be calling uh, the Risen fights. Hey, Risen guys, how, how about hiring me and Pat or or me, Pat, and John Fitch? Big combo. I do I do the, the Mixed Martial uh, Mindset podcast. Love it. Love it. That will never shut me up about Conor McGregor, the multitude of evidence that he is a brutal, violent, serial rapist, that ESPN knows, Disney is covered up, Ari Emanuel, Dana White, WME Entertainment. Never. I'll never get a gig at the UFC. Like the, the top of the line I can get is like Bellator. And I would would they be scared of a guy like me? Probably. Probably. Don't shut up. I'm not the company man when it comes to truth that matters. Period. Okay. And and just like we were talking about Crowder and these contracts, et cetera. I'm glad Crowder's coming out. Crowder's saying he's going to start his own network, basically. You know, he actually gave out a creator's email. I, I think that's kind of big. I I do a weekly show on a Steven Crowder network. If it was a, like a, again, I'm not having to sign on to some crazy contract like the ones he was showing. 
right? I'm trying to reach as many people as possible. All right. With that being said, let's hit it. This is uh, Stelter headlining the World Economic Forum, the clear and present danger of disinformation. The clear and present danger of disinformation uh, is our conversation here this afternoon. It follows a session just now about disrupting distrust. And of course, those are connected. So I hope that's where we can start. Uh, I'm Brian Stelter, formerly of CNN, now a fellow at Harvard University. A fellow at Harvard University. I'm Brian Stelter, formerly of CNN. A fellow at Harvard University. Oh, my Brian! Let me briefly introduce our panelists. Uh, and since we're being live streamed, a reminder that the hashtag is WEF23. We can try to put some real information out into the world to make up for all the crazy. All the crazy. Look at that face. <laughs> all the crazy. This guy's talking about all the crazy. Oh my God. It's too much. Uh, sitting uh, first with me, uh, Vera Yorovan, the VP for Values and Transparency uh, for the European Commission. Oh, that, That's queen censorship for the European Commission. That's queen criminalized speech, okay, for the European Commission. That's who that is. Just want to point that out. Next to her, Congressman uh, Seth Moulton uh, from the U.S. state of Massachusetts, the 6th District, uh, Democratic Congressman. Moulton, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Jeannie Burgo uh, next to him, the president and CEO of Internews. Jeannie, welcome. Thank you. Uh, and A.G. Salzberger, the chairman and publisher of the New York Times. Welcome. The New York, there he is, the chairman and publisher. Of the, so you got the New York Times, one of the worst rags out there. You got a Democratic congressman from Massachusetts. I mean, the, this is, oh man, we a fellow at Harvard University. Hmm. He shall be moderating the panel. I think we should start with you, AG, talk from the newsroom and the, the news publishing perspective, and then we'll work our way toward uh, some of the uh, political uh, parts of the conversation. Uh, how does this discussion of disinformation relate to everything else happening here today in Davos? And I love it just because, again, disinformation affects the world. This guy's going to talk about pluralism and trust and yada, yada, yada. Listen, no one trusts the New York Times. No one trusts CNN because... You're proven liars. You're proven liars. I just played a clip, Stelter, of you and Krugman talking like moronic, third-rate gangsters out of a B-movie. It is what it is. Even if it was, it doesn't matter. Hey! Um, well, first, uh, thanks for having me as, as part of this conversation. As you can imagine, this is something I really care deeply about. Okay, no, no, he doesn't care deeply about. Okay, let me, let me explain this. He actively participates in on purpose on behalf of a media military industrial complex and a predator class great narrative in a post-truth world, all right? He doesn't deeply actually care about the issue. He cares that he does a good job of what forcing their disinformation on the rest of us. So I, th I think if you look at at um, this question of disinformation, I think it maps basically to every other major challenge that we are grappling with as a society, and particularly the most existential among them. So disinformation and in the broader set of misinformation, conspiracy, propaganda, clickbait, you know, the, the, the broader um, mix.
This guy and his operation pumped Russia, 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 still do, by the way, and Russiagate for half a decade. Okay, orange man bad. They they couldn't wait, wait to promote big pharma talking points during the, you know, they couldn't wait. He did it gleefully. That's who these people are. Of bad information that's corrupting the information ecosystem. What it attacks is trust. And once you see trust decline, uh, what you then see um, is uh, societies start to fracture. And so you see people fracture along tribal lines and, um, and, uh, and you know, that immediately undermines pluralism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the undermining of pluralism is probably the most dangerous thing that can happen to a democracy. So I really, I think if, if you know, if you're spending this week thinking Let, about- Let's just, let's just stop that. Cause, cause that's absolutely the undermining of pluralism. Like he wants to use a big word to try to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to to try to say this is this is the biggest threat pluralism okay what is pluralism pluralism as a political philosophy is the recognition and affirmation of diversity within a politi uh within a political body which is seen to permit the peaceful coexistence of different interests convictions and lifestyles excuse me excuse me first of all they're against, again, it's the inversion of reality. They don't want diverse voices. That's not what they're talking about. They don't want anyone challenging the narrative. They want to label things misinformation and disinformation and then censor it. And then censor it. They want to create laws around hate speech. They want pre-crime. They don't even want to give you due process after the fact with their fake laws, all right? They want a military tribunal for you as you're a domestic terror threat. That's what they want. It's out and about and open, okay? Period. So, so let's get back uh, to this New York Times gentleman. Let's thumbs it up, subscribe, and share. And remember, comment, 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 help the algorithm share the links guys that's how we get the show out there and we're going to be going over to the uh, premium portion of the broadcast in about five minutes over at redvoicemedia.com uh, slash jason the health of democracies and democratic erosion i think it's really important to work your way back up to where this starts in the term fake news and then disinformation it was popularized six years ago at this point where are we today versus them what do you mean, where are we today versus then? So this was a, a, a hot, popular topic. Yeah. There was an awakening about it. The social networks felt pressure. But now where are we? And uh, Again, it wasn't an awakening. It wasn't the social networks shared pressure or uh, uh, felt pressure. The social networks had a bunch of intelligence officials inside of them and still do. All right, and then contrived emergencies and authoritarianism let them activate those mechanisms by bringing in outside forces, okay, 
that would, would then suggest you censor these things because they were misinformation or disinformation. And then the people on the inside would help make that happen and convince others that were not already compromised to do so as well. It's what actually happened. But Brian Stelter here, I mean, look at that guy. Um, take a look at that guy. Uh, same question for Jeannie, but where, where are we today? Uh, oh, I see. Yeah, it's a great, uh, you know, and, and to, to be clear, actually, terms like fake news and enemy, enemies of the people have been popularized cyclically in society mm. and in, in some of the most, you know, um, you know, repressive and dangerous moments, you know, Nazi Germany, Stalinist Russia, right? Um, so, um, so I think anytime we're getting language like that applied to, you know, a free press, um, you know, or, or more broadly free expression, I think, I think we should be um, really worried. Yeah, no, we should be really worried, but you're the one trying to what? Suppress that free expression. This guy is the inversion of reality. My goodness. Look, I, th I think that there's, there's, um, there's no doubt that society seems to have at some level accepted how much the information ecosystem has been poisoned. Um, and, um, and I think it's going to require real sustained effort from the platforms, from political leaders, um, from business leaders, and from consumers themselves to reject that. Jenny, how do you see this, uh, especially thinking about it from different countries that internews helps make sure the news is being produced in? Yeah, I think um, sort of the traditional view of mis and disinformation, we often think of sort of the information warfare, and we're looking at the Ukraine crisis where it's been devastating. And even looking at the arc of time, at the, be the, first, the beginning of the Ukraine crisis in 2014, the Russian disinformation was trying to sow confusion in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, and now we see the Russian disinformation machine really sowing a, a single line inside of Russia for the, this continuation mm -hmm. of the war. So, so this lady, sorry, so this woman, goes all the way back to the CIA 2014 coup to talk about Russian disinformation, all right? No semblance of the fact that it was uh, Western and uh, United Nations, NATO interests that sparked that up, that installed a actor puppet as the leader. No, no, no. Russian misinformation and disinformation ramping up from 2014. And again, this this uh, WEF has just been a, a rocket ship, a rocket ship against Russian disinformation and just so pro-Ukraine in it for the long haul, guys. Uh, but it seemed very much like a great, almost like a great power struggle that was happening. I think the big trend for us that we're seeing, and we work with news organizations in 100 countries around the world trying to support their work because we believe in healthy information environments being so critical to solving the world's problems. Yeah, I, I believe in the truth, not healthy information environments. Healthy information environments. That That could be, I mean, I'm a healthy information environment. What, what's a healthy information environment? Is that where you just have a little bit of censorship or like a whole lot of censorship or you're on behalf of the state? Or, I don't want to say that too loud because things can get out of control. They can get unhealthy very quick. All right. That's where I cue to the producers. 
And we are going over to redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. I'm going to say goodbye to each platform one at a time right now. Uh, we got a lot. I don't even know if we're going to get through this. There's 43 more minutes uh, left in uh, this forum. There were some other videos, including the uh, video of Rebel News uh, taking on the Pfizer CEO. Again, uh, right now, anybody can go. Uh, check that out. I, I should. Well, let's just make sure if I didn't, let's do it again. Let's retweet that again. Uh, because Ezra Levant, he just he just nailed it. And people need to see it's now up at the top. Uh, we're going to play that on the other side as well. Hopefully. Depends on where we cut off the misinformation, disinformation crowd. But here we go. Let's start cutting it off. YouTube, thumbs it up, subscribe, share, comment. Same thing with Rumble. Please do that. Uh, Rockfin. Thank you so much for supporting me. I will be posting a Making Sense of the Madness uh, where I'm talking uh, deep dive into the deep state with Sean Morgan probably later this afternoon. So look for that exclusively over at Rockfin. YouTube, you know the drill. Uh, check out the documentary films. They are free. I want you to share them far and wide. Okay. Twitter, we'll see you later. And Rumble, thank you so much for everything that you've done. Okay. So that should wrap that up. I think I already heard my uh, my buzz, which is good news. And that means that we can probably do it to it right now. Let's see where my phone go. And we are good to go. Fantastic. So let's let's find out about these healthy information environments. That's exciting stuff, right? Healthy information environments and a community's problems and a country's problems. Um, so the big change that we've seen is, is, is really the, the insidiousness of the multiple levels and layers of mis and disinformation is being used. I was just in the Philippines in September and like literally every level of government, private business, you know, the civil society, it's just everywhere. And so navigating it, it feels- Look at that face. It's just, I can't help it. Look, that's the, he's the fellow at Harvard the former CNN anchor. Hmm. Different than sort of when it was like just the, the big conversation about fake news and it feels like it's everywhere. And so the solutions are gonna be slightly more complicated. But, but you'd agree with, with uh, AG's perspective that at some level it's been accepted, a certain amount of this pollution. I, I do agree. It's pollution. You're the polluter. <laughs> it's been accepted. Your, your network has forced upon the American people in the world that Joe Biden runs the country, that Joe Biden got 81 million votes. Still, to this day, New York Times does the same thing. He's a dementia-ridden puppet. They're You're at the puppet show, Brian. That, and I think we've always had pollution in the information environment, So, but it is really, really bad right now for sure. I also feel like there's at some level, I mean, when we, when we turn to solutions, people are also getting used to navigating it a little bit better. Again, in the Philippines, mm. here's this you know, unbelievably complicated information environment, and yet people were able to find the information they needed, they knew where they trusted, and they were starting to navigate it interestingly, mm. sort of differently. And so I, I'm a little bit rose-colored glasses sometimes. I'm accused Good. of that. And, and in this case, I, I can see some glimmers of hope. Good. You mentioned solutions. Congressman, can you give us the solutions? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, I, I, think it, I, I think it's really tough. And, and honestly, um, this, is a, this is an issue that affects my job profoundly. How's I think that? it's gotten a lot worse in just the last few years. We have a lot of big problems that we have to solve in America. 
But you take a problem like immigration, uh, where you need to have Democrats and Republicans come together, conservatives and liberals, to have comprehensive immigration reform, to do things that conservatives want, like securing the border, but do things that liberals want, like making sure we have a pathway to citizenship for the immigrants who come here. And if you can't agree on the basic facts, you can't agree on how many people are crossing the border, you can't agree on whether uh, a wall makes sense or whether we should strengthen border security at the checkpoints. I, I mean, I, I, right there, look, we don't talk about immigration too much here because it's not an issue that, uh, you know, is my hill to die on. I, I think it's pretty obvious that, number one, you know, we already had a system of immigration that worked in this country, that there was a pathway to citizenship legally, and we've thrown that at the window. And he's talking about we can't agree how many people are crossing the border or whether we should have a border wall or not. Just by saying that, you're not a serious person about securing the border. So this pathway to citizenship on the other side, how do you even make that conversation happen? It's a misnomer. It's not real. It's fantasy land. It's fiction town. That's a simple fact that, that dictates where a lot of funding that Congress could spend on this problem actually goes. And if you mm. can't have that honest conversation with your colleagues, it's a real problem. And, and I, I noticed in the Congress a marked change after Donald Trump came to power and proved that lying works. What in the world is he talking about? A marked change. Barack Obama, liar. George W. Bush, liar. Bill Clinton, liar. George H.W. Bush, liar. All of them liars on a multitude of levels. Does that make Trump, the most honest man ever? No. Listen, there were clearly things that Trump lied about. All right. Like, like, here's the thing. You know, I, I think that I had this conversation with Mark Dice. I'm not sure if I if he was on my show or whatever, but we were talking about Stormy Daniels. Okay. No doubt in my mind that Donald Trump had sex with Stormy Daniels and he paid her hush money. None. Never. Not once. Not once did I question that. Why? Because obviously it happened, and obviously he lied about it. Okay, the guy, let's go over it again. No matter what you thought of the guy before he got into office, all right? And, and by the way, thought he was leaps and bounds better than liar Hillary Clinton. Big time. You had to acknowledge who he actually was, and who was he really? Well, let's start with he was a gangster, all right? You're in the um the real estate arena and you're building your construction game and you're in the uh gambling arena you're working with organized crime you have to atlantic city in new jersey come on you have to it's part of the game all right so on that level trump uh, like not like in the rap game gangster, like a real gangster, like had to do business with a lot of these gang affiliated people, period. Two, he was an actor. Yes, he was an actor. One of the things that made Trump unique um, was that he was able to use the media and manipulate public perception about him 
and, and his wealth when there's plenty of other people that were much wealthier. Okay. But put off a, a persona via doing Oprah, 60 Minutes, being involved with the World Wrestling Federation. Yes, before it was World Wrestling Entertainment, all the way back as it started to explode. All these things were key. Books, board games, eventually the reality show. You're fired. And that'll bring me into my next one, beauty pageants. Okay, because clearly Trump was a womanizer. He ran beauty pageants. He had three wives. Okay, Ivana, Marla Maples, and uh, why is why can't I think of his uh, uh, current uh, beauty there? It's, it's killing my, Melania. Okay, all on the open, cheated on all of them. Not, I mean, openly bragged and talked about these things on a multitude of shows. I used to watch Howard Stern. That's who he was. He was the grabbing by the pussy guy. So what? We all knew it. To make him into something more than that is ridiculous. And unbelievably, you know, he had some of the worst people within the establishment surrounding him, whether we like to admit it or not. Bill Barr. Not a great guy. Mattis, not a great guy. Um, Peter Thiel, not a great guy, even though libertarians want to push that guy to the top. Up close and personal with Trump. Okay. Uh, but, But again, the narrative of these Democrats, Trump changed everything. No, Trump was the first guy uh, in my lifetime that really did try to be president. And I believe was trying to look out for the little guy in many respects, but had a huge ego. And he's going to run again. You know, I mean, you you see it. It's it's on the way. He's running again, period. So let's keep going on this. He proved to especially a lot of his Republican colleagues that this actually, this is pretty good. And all these Republicans um, who disdain Donald Trump, and there are a lot of public examples, people like Lindsey Graham, um, who said the most meaning things about Donald Trump and then jumped on his bandwagon, part of jumping on his bandwagon was buying into this game that you could just lie and and not only could you get away with it but it might actually help your career when you're confronted by those lies what do you do personally or professionally what do you find are the appropriate responses you know you try to have uh you try to have a conversation but i remember this um this instance i mean we were you don't ignore it you don't try to ignore the uh... I, i try not to okay i try not to um, but I remember having a conversation with a conservative uh, colleague from um, southern part of the United States, and we were, um, you know, debating one of these one of these issues. And um, I won't go into the details, and, and I don't remember every one of them. But he he said something to me that just was blatantly untrue. And and I said, well, that's not true. I mean, I read this in the news this morning. Right. And he said, well, where did you read it? And I said, well, it was in the New York Times. And so we just scoffed and said, well, then that's not that's not true. Let me talk to him. <laughs> exactly. What? What? Why do I trust the New York Times? The New York Times is a joke. It's a joke. Go watch my interview with Kevin Roos of the New York Times, and you tell me that that guy, on behalf of this guy's paper, um, is there to tell the truth and doesn't have an agenda. Please give me a break. And doesn't outwardly, they outwardly lied about me. 
said everything Jason Burmis has said has been disproven. They just outwardly lie. <laughs> Do you have thoughts about that dynamic, uh, both in the U.S. and abroad? It's not necessarily new, but it, it's not getting better. The, 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 the fake news. Distrust dynamic. of any established Distrust. brand, especially yeah. a brand like yours. I mean, look, I think f for, I think it's a different challenge domestically and internationally, right? So, so domestically, um, you know, I think the most important thing that, um, that independent media organizations can do is to hold their ground and, um, and hold on to their principles. Like, again, this guy's saying all the right things, but does he mean Infowars.com? Hold their ground and hold their principles. What independent media organizations is he talking about? Right. And so for us, that means treating, you know, independence, you know, and following the facts where they lead as a North Star, you know, and when <laughs> facts lead somewhere am ambiguous, it means conveying that ambiguity ambiguity or the debate around it fairly. So so he's actually trying to refer to the New York Times as an independent media operation. The New York Times. And in fully. Um, so, you know, I, I, I really do think that that is the, the, the path. And I think there's a giant segment of America that wants that. Um, um, internationally, you know, it is it's it's a more complicated picture, and and it's it's why the anti-press rhetoric of a country that has been synonymous with you know you know upholding and defending a free press is so dangerous is that most countries have far less of a tradition of tolerating a free press and free expression. You know this better than anyone, and so you know this this anti-press rhetoric terms like fake news were greedily gobbled up mm -hmm. by autocratic regimes and and aspiring autocratic regimes. You lied about Iraq. You lied about 9-11. You lied about Vietnam. You lied about every major relevant issue regarding the COVID-1984 nightmare over the last several years. And you're gonna sit there and you're gonna say it's autocratic regimes globally screaming fake news about you that's causing mis and distrust. No, you're liars. You're professional liars. Who, who then, you know, you know, passed laws that they claimed were banning fake news, but were actually banning an independent, the, the, the scrutiny that is provided by an independent press, the scrutiny and accountability. So, And that's exactly what they're trying to do here at this forum. That's the irony of all this. This is exactly what they're trying to do at, the, at this forum. So I, you know, I, I, I see the bigger challenge on the international stage. International. Bear, do you see, uh, what, what role do you see for government in this conversation? Uh, your portfolio includes uh, mis and disinformation, as well as uh, digital privacy and security and uh, the, the, the relationship between consumers and TikTok, for example. So how do you see the role of government here? Yeah, I, I will correct you, uh, or not correct you, sorry, I will not correct <laughs> Please. you. Please, it's a I, session I, about accuracy. I, I don't like to, to hear about consumers. Mm. I love consumers, yeah, they are so close to my heart and stomach. The consumers are close to my heart and stomach, I eat them. Whoa, what the? 
going on here? But citizens, it's citizens. It's something else. You, you feel the difference. That's why we introduced a like specialis special regulation for political advertising, mm -hmm. <clears throat> stricter rules for selling politicians uh, from selling the shoes or furniture. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I I started from 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 the end what I wanted to speak about. Good. Of course, I am I'm European legislator, and we are uh, uh, working on legislation together with 27 member states with very different uh, history and different instincts in the society. Right. And uh, we have countries which experience censorship, like mine. I come from Prague, from Czech Republic. Uh, we have countries which experience Russian occupation, like my country. <laughs> Again, uh, we have countries which which simply have different and different different traditions. And to legislate on how digital space should look like, it's pretty daring mm. exercise, mm -hmm. because we must come with the rules which will not be abused. And I I, I will come to that if you give me two two more minutes. Uh, rules that will not be abused. Give me a couple more minutes to have me tell you what the rules are. Um, uh, when I come to the United States, I was in Congress many times and I also spoke to American think tanks, uh, also with the journalists, I was in New York Times. The, the basic question I hear from uh, Americans uh, on, uh, uh, on how we are going to uh, deal with the disinformation online is, will you order removals, oh. removing of content from online? Mm. It's, it's so simplified. And I it's so simplified. We just take it down. <laughs> I mean, these people are, are, are so completely devoid of self-awareness. Think about this. This woman right here is bragging about censoring and taking people uh, people's posts down as it's very simple. You just take it down. I am, I am almost shouting, of course not because this is not the way how to do that. Oh, good. We try to do, in fact, three things. Mm. Uh, to make sure that the disinformers uh, do not find the feeding ground. The society which is willing to get brainwashed. And here again, different traditions, different instincts, mm -hmm. and sensitivity. So, for instance, the Russian propaganda was so uh, bloody, strong in the center and eastern countries because there were some sentiments in in the society already before the invasion to ukraine so the feeding ground which means that uh, our society our people should uh, get more resilient uh, it should be done through education through uh, the work of professional media i i had in new york times was there three years ago the question how did you increase your readership I heard from some of your colleagues because the people became hung, more hungry for the truth. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, but this is a, a long distance goal. The second, maybe I will, I will surprise you, a better strategic communication from us who are the representatives of democratic governments. Aren't we lazy? Aren't we just too self-confident that the people will find the truth somehow? Mm. We should be more intensive in delivering trustworthy facts mm. and information for the people. They are not stupid. They, they have the right for trustworthy and reliable information from those who voted for.
and also do the pre-bunking. When you look back at the disinformation campaigns. The pre-bunking. So first of all, let's go back to her first point. Basically, she's talking about limit of reach. Don't let it get to the audience. So that is censorship. You don't just pull it down, you just shadow ban it. All right. And then we have to figure out a way to get them out the good information because we're just too lazy. They're constantly bombarding us with psychological operations, Bernaysian talking points. All right. And propaganda. They're dressing uh, Voldemort Zelensky up like Rambo, Lil Rambo. Okay. And now they're talking about pre bunking. Might as well be talking about malinformation. We're going to pre bunk something. They are primitive as for the con content. <laughs> it was possible to predict. Mm. So why didn't we do more to prepare the people for that? Mm. Only, the, only the third thing is the regulation. And indeed, Europe started to regulate. First of all, the Digital Services Act says uh, the content which is illegal off, uh, offline has to be treated as illegal online. The content that is illegal offline has to be treated illegal online. First of all, isn't it? As far as I know, the content, okay, that's online that could be illegal are bad things. Bad things that happen to children, for instance, that type of uh, would be illegal offline, also illegal online. What, what are you discussing here? What is legal offline uh, or illegal offline that is legal online? This just sounds moronic. So here comes terrorism, extra political uh, uh, violent extremism, uh, hate speech, child pornography. What's the rest? Oh, there is, it's enough, no, isn't it? Oh, only, only thing I saw there, uh, you know, uh, by any definition would be child pornography because their definition of extremism and terrorism is absolutely ridiculous. And obviously that just leaks into hate speech, which is any speech they don't like. The violence. Uh, it's, it's another category. Disinformation, well, it's uh, main, uh, in most of the cases, it's not illegal content. Mm -hmm. So should we suddenly say that for online space, this information is illegal? And this is exactly what I mentioned at the beginning. Mm. That so, I mean, literally, this woman, disinformation is illegal. All these people would be out of business. It's their game. That's what they do. We must come with the rules which will not be abused. So what I heard from the people working for Facebook and the board, mm -hmm. uh, uh, gaining, uh, getting the, the complaints and the requests for removals, 90% of the requests are coming from governments. Yeah. So the elected politicians uh, mark as this information something which is uncomfortable. Yeah, so, so let's be aware of that. So that's why we created pretty difficult, complicated system, the code of practice against disinformation, where nobody is the arbiter of the truth. Uh, we invited, uh, the, of course, the platforms, the advertising industry, um, the fact checkers, uh, professional media. It's a very broad exercise. I mean, you just told me that nobody's the arbiter of truth, and then you got all the people that are colluding for a narrative together to collude for a narrative. I mean, this is the inversion of reality. Oh, I mean, she just admitted that it's government officials 90% of the time that want information taken off. 
So let's have the government officials, let's have the advertisers, let's have the big business people get together. What is this? And the professional media. The professional media. Come on. This guy from the New York Times just tried to refer to the New York Times as independent media. It's laughable. Where I believe uh, uh, we might uh, find some some good good results also uh, also in relation to the uh, better resilience of the people uh, because the, this code of practice is also covering this this part. Sorry, I was long, but you see how full I am of it. I hope you're. I am full. I, I am so full. I am of it. <laughs> yeah, you're full of it. All right, you're full of it. Yeah, pre-bunking, you know, we have to make disinformation illegal, but there are no arbiters of truth. Come on, the whole thing's a paradox. Just getting started. Your point about, you know, uncomfortable truths being mislabeled yes. as disinformation yes. uh, sticks with me. I, I hate This it. is a complicated term, and, and there's so much yeah. between um, a clear, verifiable fact and a clear, verifiable, uh, verifiable lie. There's so much in between. Uh, and so uh, that's why you're saying the rules have to be set up in a way yes. not to be abused. Yes. Uh, Congressman, should we learn in the U.S. something from the structures <laughs> that the Europeans have adopted? Well, look, I think in general the U.S. has a lot to learn in terms of um, data regulation, internet regulation. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're way ahead of us in that regard. But we believe very strongly in, in free speech. Mm -hmm. um, I believe very strongly in, in free speech. And I think there is a healthy concern in the United States um, that the EU might be, be going a little too far. So, so I, mean, I, I think you look at this from both perspectives. Yes, they're ahead of us um, and they're doing some smart things that um, I know when I use the internet in, in Europe uh, and I get all the warnings about cookies and whatnot, that actually makes me feel safer. That makes me feel better. And a lot of American consumers want that level of security mm. on the internet for your own data privacy and whatnot. Um, but we also have uh, a healthy concern that, that, you know, we're not going to be, we're not going to be censored. And, uh, and, and, and that's the world that we live in. I'm not, I don't think anyone in America, well, I don't think lawmakers in America want to give up on the fundamental principle of free speech. I like that he had to pull back and uh, say, well, <laughs> and, and honestly, there are lawmakers in America that have already pulled back on free speech, but he's a politician. So, you know, he has, he has to say certain things and act a certain way. We're very careful about that. But haven't we seen many Democrats in the last six years pressuring Facebook and Twitter and now TikTok uh, to be stronger in content moderation? Uh, hasn't that been a wave that we've seen crash over for years now? Well, I think this is the question of, you know, I mean, ultimately what we're trying to to achieve there is some measure of public safety, right? Um, we, we're not, uh, I mean, sure, there are some politicians who are going to go out and just get angry at Facebook if they see things that are mean. Um, I'm quite used to uh, reading mean things about <laughs> me on the internet. It's just, <laughs> for a while when I started, I used to screenshot them, so I've just sort of get comfortable with the most heinous things people oh. would say. Um, so as to sort of uh, inoculate myself to the to the issue. Um, that's a reality for being in, in public life today. Uh, it's very much more. Reality of being in public life always. Any medium, okay? Any medium, medium, when you're a public life is going to be there to scrutinize, criticize, and parody you, period. And this guy couldn't care less about safety. You have to keep everybody safe on the internet. Again, if it's against the law, it's against the law. We don't need new laws. We don't need more regulation. Okay, we don't need 
okay, a restriction of the reach of that information via big tech and government, period. In your faith than it was 30, 50, 100 years ago, but I think it's always been a, uh, been a reality. The difference is when, you know, I have a constituency that I'm trying to keep healthy and I can't get them to take a COVID vaccine because of misinformation that's propagated <clears throat> on the internet. And, and that's where this becomes a much uh, tougher, more difficult, but also just a bigger concern. So, so there he is, as an establishment politician, telling you, I, I can't get people to inject a DARPA-run bioweapon into themselves and their children a multitude of times because people are telling them about the fact that mRNA and vector-based shots aren't really vaccines and that they had to change the language. And, you know, they're, they're showing people, Peter Doshi, uh, senior editor at the British Medical Journal, exposing this fact. And they're showing the data and the numbers that prove that not only does the uh, shots not stop transmission, but the adverse events are extreme. So, I mean, think about what that guy just said with a straight face. You know, without the mechanisms, okay, of censorship, I have a hard time getting people to take the hate and lies shot. That's what he just told you. How do you counsel, Jeannie, how do you counsel journalists in this environment? I'll, I'll tell you a, a brief, funny, maybe not funny story. So I, I leave CNN and there's a crazy website that posts an article saying I was arrested by military police. And then I have a fact checking email and I don't. I, again, yeah, th that's the purposeful disinformation and misinformation. And who's running that? Is it trolls? Is it opportunists? Is it uh, the signature reduction program from inside the government? You know how many of those stories I've seen where Brian Stelter, Tom Hanks, Ellen DeGeneres, they've got them. We got them. I just shake my head. I just shake my head. It's it's ridiculous. And then they act like that's prevalent. And that's what's being echoed in the alternative media. No, it's not. I don't know whether to reply to the fact checker and bother with this, right? Same website a month later, executed at Guantanamo Bay. So the fact checker emails me again and I say, well, do you want to take my pulse? How do I disprove that I wasn't executed? And so to me, that is that is amusing and ridiculous to other journalists. It might be really disturbing and it might be worrisome to them. Uh, and sometimes I might fall in that category, too. W what do you tell journalists? How do you counsel them about being in this that, environment? That doesn't strike me as a funny story, but I'm alive and well, so. it, which I'm, I'm very glad it actually raises. I mean, if we think about some of the trends in disinformation, one of the most worrisome is gendered disinformation, the fact that the those types of stories hit women so much worse, women politicians, and it's just proven across the board that women online get harassed and online harassment becomes offline harassment very, very quickly. That's totally made up. It's totally and completely made up. All right, that, that is totally and completely made. There's nothing fact-based about what that woman just said. Nothing. Gendered misinformation or disinformation. What are you talking about? Those type of totally false and absurd stories have nothing to do with whether it's a man or a woman. It's whether or not that person is famous or not. You know, at the height of the QAnon sense, right? Oprah Winfrey, Tom Hanks, Ellen DeGeneres, Brian Stelter. I still see this fake list of people that visited Epstein Island every single day on uh, 
on Twitter. Totally fake list. Not made. Not not real. Not a real list. Has some people that have been there or were on the planes. Has some associates of Epstein that are in there. And then just a bunch of bullshit to confuse you. You know, someone just made a list. No evidence necessary. There is no client list, everybody. I keep telling you that. There is no client list. Just like this woman talking about how, uh, I mean, I mean, think about that. How many fake news stories have you heard about w- women either in the media or in politics being uh, executed or arrested by military police? Seriously. Well, how many of those stories have you seen? It, it's not disproportionately women, women, but these people can just say whatever they want. And they often do. And so gender disinformation is one of those trends that is, the, to me, one of the most terrifying out there. Mm. Um, uh, so um, and I want to sort of circle back to the comment about should the platforms be held accountable for part of this? They should be. And you're exactly right. It's the accountability is about keeping people safe. And uh, gender mm. disinformation can be very unsafe for, for a lot of people. And so. Oh, see, now it's moving. Now it's moving. Now gender disinformation. And, and you got to wonder what that even means since we're at the World Economic Forum. It's peace for health and health for peace. And these are the same people that tell you openly biological men can be women. All right. And then they talk about harassment offline. All bullshit. All bullshit. Accountability. I think that's where we want to go with it. Um, I, I, you know, the platforms, when it comes to content moderation, do have a responsibility for trying to keep people safer, and they can do more. And again, it's worse in the rest of the world. Um, you know, the the the, the genocide in, in 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 Myanmar of the Rohingya was, you know, clearly based on very poor platform moderation. And and we put civil society organizations like mine put a lot of pressure platforms and there is responsiveness. I mean, in Myanmar to get Facebook to hire people that could speak the local language and do a little bit more. I mean, but it it just isn't sufficient given the resources and given the Mm. incredible impact they have on the information environment. So that's that's one of the areas I, I want to just another sort of solution because I, I I find the the policy one as an American, I also find it I struggle with it a little bit, but I think there are some really interesting elements to policy work and not just in the information landscape, but also on election law and different laws that you know that you can sort of get more clear about and as you as you said, sort of political candidates should up to a different sort of uh, standard. Um, I also think what's really interesting for this group, in fact, is uh, that that there are industry players who have an impact as well. The advertising industry has a huge impact on this. And one of the ways, disinformation, misinformation sells, a lot of it starts out as market-driven. We remember that with the election, That's the ridiculous story about me. It's just an ad play. It is. It's like, great to get this groovy, crazy news out there, right? Right. Well, I mean, that's not good for the ad industry in the long run. And we're finding more openness and conversations in places like this to advertisers and brands who say, you know what, we're done with that. And so we're trying to encourage them like, hey, let's go back to the old school. Let's invest in local good content information, supporting what AG was talking about um, and making sure that's where your ad dollars go to both help democracy and then hopefully save me. Because advertisers are really worried about helping democracy. Just again, just absurd and totally and completely ridiculous. They're telling you right here that if you spend your ad dollars with Facebook or Instagram, et cetera, all right, you're going to be what? You're 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 still not going to be boost, boosted. No, you're still going to be considered disinformation. So your ad dollars don't go anywhere. On the flip side of that, 
they're discouraging any uh, large companies or corporations to advertising with people that might tell the truth. Now, we're not talking about, you know, dumbass, stelter, dead stories. Okay. That, that's what this is. You know, th this is threatening companies and corporations that would, in fact, support free speech. Yeah, in the same time. Mm -hmm. I just one other quick comment on this, um, which I, I, com I completely agree with what you're saying. And this concept of preserving public safety, uh, even under the banner of free speech, is actually something that we've accepted for a long time. You know, we get taught in, in grade school the concept of, you know, yes, you're allowed free speech, but not crying fire in a crowded theater. They love fire in a crowded theater. That they, uh, and, and again, again, such a misnomer. And they try to relate that to other things. No, no, that's the example. Fire in a crowded theater. That, like, again, if you would shout something or do something that put a bunch of people in immediate harm, immediate physical harm, and that's few and far between, immediate, all right, then we can talk. But they want to expand that definition all over the place. One of the most uh, amazing experiences of my life was as a young lieutenant in Iraq, uh, I was, there wasn't a great plan after the invasion, maybe that's now been accepted. Um, I was assigned to work not with the fire department or the police department like some of my colleagues, but with the Iraqi media. Mm. And it was my job as a 23-year-old to teach them the principles of a free press to get this media that had only played things from the Ministry of Information in Baghdad to actually learn how to report the news. Wow. There was a lot of concern from the Iraqis, um, many of whom they were working with us because they liked what we were doing and overthrowing Saddam. They look, we don't want this to go badly. So they wanted to have a lot of propaganda that was very supportive of us. But I said, no, no, I, and, 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 I, and I found myself giving these civics lessons mm -hmm. that I hadn't had for 10, 10 or 15 years um, in, in, in explaining principles like this about a free press. Right. And I think sometimes we forget that we have these, these norms established for traditional media that we've accepted for a long time, and we're just having trouble translating those to the social, social media world. Mm. My, my question would be was, when was the last time there was a focus on civics and education ever? There wasn't a focus on civics in education when I was in school. You know, I, I had some good teachers, actually English teacher, talk about civics. I had, I had a good social studies teacher talk about civics. Certainly weren't teaching the lessons. How important is civics in a college education? Ask yourself that question. Translate them, right. A question for AG, but let's open it up to everybody, uh, which is about that social media world and this next generation of technology. Uh, generative AI is one of the hot topics here this week. Uh, everyone's heard about chat GPT. AG, have you thought about how that's going to affect the New York Times and affect the news industry? Um, I'm sure there are like literally a thousand people at Davos right now that have a smarter um, take on chat GPT than I do. But I, I do think that it's, you know, squarely it's going to make the disinformation problem and and the bad information problem work right again a lot of this won't won't be information that's like created with the intent to mislead but you know i i, I based on everything i've read i suspect we're going to see just huge amounts of content content right that is produced none of which is is particularly verified you know the the, um, the origins of which aren't particularly clear and that's even before we start getting into like deep fake technology, right? So I think I think we are we are getting to a point where 
tools are going to make it harder and harder to solve this this problem or make the problem worse and worse. And I think that we're going to have to go back to first principles, mm. which is if you if you don't want want bad information, you need to crowd it out with good information. And, you know, Brian, you know, as well as anyone that, you know, local journalism in the United States and around the world is in crisis. A crisis. You guys eviscerated it. You helped do it. You know, there, there aren't mom and pop local papers anymore. That's why I love what uh, the River Cities Reader does, rcreader.com, because that is true local journalism, boots on the ground. And uh, you, you guys have bastardized that in many regards. And um, I think it is not a coincidence at all, you know, that the flood of these other things, propaganda, conspiracy, clickbait, all came in as the journalism ecosystem that had been a trusted, you know, sort of guardian of these, you know, these high ideals um, was at its weakest. So I think I think we we both need to address the misinformation crisis, but we also need to rebuild an ecosystem that is weaker than ever. Mm. Other thoughts on where we're going with AI? In this have, have, I, have I missed that topic on media? Or What's that? Uh, you discussed the media, and I well, well, that I, I mean, I, I share AG's fear of uh, if if most of the content on the internet is written by computers mm. uh, with no regard for what is true, mm. then we're going to be drowning in a way that we're not even drowning right now. Then we will fully disregard the value of the truth. Mm. You know what, guys? I'm going to stop it there. It's about halfway. It's a little more than halfway. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this clip of Borla, the Pfizer CEO, actually being asked tough questions by an independent press, all right? And the, this is the type of press that those people would say is misinformation or disinformation for simply asking a reality question. These people at the World Economic Forum have clearly blurred the line and played the savior like John Kerry is about, right? John Kerry and his we are a select group of human beings here to save the world. We're almost extraterrestrial. So right here, we're going to watch this clip. This is what real journalism actually looks like, not a, sp a smug authoritarian European bureaucrat. Mr. Borla, can I ask you, when did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. Thank you very question. much. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Is it time to apologize to the world, sir, to give refunds back to the countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? Yeah, you're a little bit around. Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Do you have any apologies to the public, sir? Are you proud of it? You've made millions on the backs of people's entire livelihoods. How does that feel to walk the streets as a millionaire on the backs of the regular person at home in Australia, in England, in Canada? What do you think about on your yacht, sir? 
What do you think about on your private jet? Are you worried about product liability? Are you worried about myocarditis? What about the sudden deaths? What do you have to say about young men dropping dead of heart attacks every day? Why won't you answer these basic questions? No apologies, sir. Do you, do you think you should be charged criminally for, for some of the criminal behavior you've obviously been a part of? How much money have you personally made off the vaccine? How many boosters do you think it'll take for you to be happy enough with your earnings? Nothing. Who did you meet with here in secret? Will you disclose who you met with? Who did you pay commissions to? In the past, Pfizer has paid $2.3 billion in fines for deceptive marketing. Hey, uh, this isn't even halfway over. It's right around the halfway mark. Still a little bit less than halfway over. Every single one of these questions should have already been asked by other people with media. And these should be the questions that are asked when this guy is criminally charged in a courtroom. Okay? Have you engaged in that same conduct again? Are you under investigation like you were before for your deceptive marketing, sir? If any other product in the world doesn't work as promised, you get a refund. Should you not refund to countries that laid out billions for your ineffective vaccine? Are you used to only sympathetic media so you don't know how to answer any questions? Shame on you, sir. Shame on you. That's Albert Bula, the boss of Pfizer. His people were pushing us around a little bit. Mate, he's pretty fit. I don't reckon he's had one jab. I'm huffing and puffing a bit. At least I didn't have any myocarditis. Uh, that's a smile. And you know what, Ezra? Props to you, brother. Because you deserve to smile after doing something like that. That That's that's clearly something that the mainstream media has refused to do. They asked real questions. Uh, thank you. You have a nice day. And, and just not going to answer them. He, he's a Davos party boy. He's a Davos party boy. He's got partying to do. Defense-driven bioweapons. Global predator class COVID-1984 great reset operations in a post-truth world where they want to sell you on a great narrative. That's where we're at, and that's where we're going to wrap it up for the week, folks. So I want to remind everybody, I am a documentary filmmaker, Loose Change, Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, and New World Order Defined, and Shade the Motion Picture are all free of charge. I want you to watch them. I want you to share them. And please, please tell people about the broadcast. Get them to come over to at least the free end of the broadcast. Share the links. Comment. Thumbs it up. Thumbs it up. Thumbs it up. Embed the information. Share the Burmese Brigade all the way around. The links down below are the other ways that you can Support me. This is Red Voice Media. I am Jason Burmis with your daily reality rants. I love you guys. And I'll on the flip side.